Good morning. Today's scripture comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, starting with verse 10. Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I mean, have you felt attacked lately? I don't mean someone has tried to hit you in the head with a crowbar, although if you visited downtown Seattle, Portland, or Chicago recently, that could be a distinct possibility. I mean, have you felt personally or emotionally or spiritually attacked? You know, I think it's normal uh, for folks to feel attacked physically right now because of the COVID-19 virus. I mean, it is trying to kill people. It's a real thing. It's a real threat to our physical safety. Latest statistics I saw this week is that globally about 760,000 people have died from the virus. And even if you think those numbers are inflated, that's still a lot of people. So the virus is a real physical threat and feeling attacked, uh, a sense of apprehension mingled with fear, that would be a normal reaction. But folks also feel attacked for other reasons. Many people are feeling attacked for cultural or political beliefs. They feel like their ideas, their values, their personhood is under attack. You know, is it mask or no mask? Open businesses or don't open businesses? Is it eat inside a restaurant or dine only al fresco? Is it in-person worship or keep the churches closed? There are a lot of different opinions being thrown around and if you express an opinion, you may feel attacked by others who disagree. People feel attacked politically, Republican, Democrat, independent, or completely confused. Uh, attacked racially, black, white, Asian, indigenous, Hispanic, or all the other ethnicities who maybe are feeling underrepresented in this whole conversation. And then there are the things that are maybe a little closer to home. Maybe you're feeling attacked because of a criticism or a conflict at work. People are stressed and sometimes they lash out you know, where you're just trying to hold yourself or hold your team or, or hold your, your business together. The stress of isolation and, quor and quarantining, the, the lack of social interaction. You know, you're seeing the same people over and over again and they're finally getting on your nerves. That can start to feel oppressive. Or how about the myriad of concerns about our schools reopening, our children, our teens, our college students, the teachers, the administrators, all the people who have to work to keep the buildings open. That can feel like a real attack on your soul too. Lots of people are struggling with sadness and depression. I mean, those are real things to watch out for. And that can feel like an emotional attack. And then spiritually, friends, the evil one is having a heyday right now. He loves what's going on. The evil one loves to create division, loves to stoke anger and resentment, loves to fuel anxiety and fear, uh, loves to encourage labeling and name calling. I mean, the evil one just thrives on chaos, thrives on gossip and thrives on righteous indignation. The evil one is hard at work spreading lies because he is the father of lies, scripture tells us. Spreading discouragement, spreading dissension, in the church, in the family, in the country. All of these attacks that I've mentioned, they all feel very real and they are real. But I wanna to suggest to you that as much as you might feel you're being persecuted in some way, I'm willing to bet just a small sum of money that most of what of this has nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about in today's Beatitude. 
If the phrase Jesus used in verse 10 went like this, blessed are those who are persecuted for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, then yes, we could all raise our hands and say, hey, sign me up. I felt persecuted. I mean, for something. I felt uh, like I'm getting the short end of the stick. I've been treated unfairly. I'm being mistreated. So, so bless me with the kingdom of God, whatever that means. You know, whatever that kingdom of God thing is, I want it. I earned it. I deserve it. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed because of righteousness. And then he rephrased the beatitude in verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Because of righteousness, because of me. We're going to have to figure out what those two, three little word phrases mean if we want to get to the bottom of this beatitude. And I think this is the one we really need to get this one right. So we're going to actually take two weeks to try and get to the bottom of what this beatitude is all about. Today's message is part one. It might feel a little incomplete at the end, so please plan on joining in next week for part two. Because there's been a lot in the news over the last few weeks of Christians across the country expressing their belief that they and their churches are actually being persecuted because of the government-mandated shutdowns and all the rules for indoor and outdoor gatherings. I mean, business, we all know, have also been adversely affected, some even driven out of business, which is terrible. And I don't in any way want to minimize the impact of the economic and social damage that we're seeing because of all this. But I feel there's a tendency for some of us Christians to maybe attach more meaning to the restrictions than is really there. To see the government uh, edicts as a shadowy conspiracy against the church. That not only are our constitutional rights being violated, but it's actually some kind of premeditated attack on the gospel designed to cripple our congregations and advance some kind of you know, anti-Christian uh, agenda. There are Christians around us who feel right now that they are being persecuted. Some church leaders across the country have openly defied the government bans on in-person uh, worship meetings and are proudly wearing that defiance as kind of their red badge of courage. As though they're demonstrating that their faith is so strong it's going to protect everyone in their church from the coronavirus like you know some magical spiritual shield falls around them. If you just have enough faith, you can just rebuke that coronavirus, you can just rebuke it, it'll flee from you. And then you'll walk through the fire of this pandemic unscathed, like how you know Daniel's friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they strolled through King Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace. Well, I like to study history, especially church history, because I believe what has happened in the past really does give us insight into the present. And so I've been reading a lot the last couple of weeks about the Spanish flu pandemic that swept over the world at the end of World War I and how particularly it impacted the church. World War I was, was simply awful in and of itself. About 20 million people were killed in World War I, just a horrible war. The Spanish flu, which was an H1N1 virus just like COVID-19, it killed upwards of 50 million people worldwide, twice as many as died in the war. About 675,000 of those deaths were Americans. And it's amazing to me how closely our current situation sort of parallels what was going on at the height of the Spanish flu. Back then, their main tools in fighting that virus were, guess what? Social distancing and wearing masks. 
exactly the same as now. In October of 1918, municipalities all across the country started banning all public gatherings, including worship services for all faiths. Businesses were boarded up, schools and restaurants were closed, but religious services were also banned. Churches were closed, the streets emptied out, people just stayed home. And looking back on it now, it's clear to see there, there was no government conspiracy against religion back then. Closing the churches and the synagogues and the temples, it was actually just the smart thing to do to prevent the spread of the virus. And it was just as hard on the businesses back then, just as hard on families, just as hard on schools and churches. And of course, some people pushed back. Anti-mask societies popped up all across the country. There were protests and demonstrations, lawsuits filed against the restrictions. In fact, the church group that took the lead in filing lawsuits opposing these mandated church shutdowns was actually the Christian scientists. They led the way because Christian scientism, which I hope you know is neither Christian nor scientific, well, one of their main beliefs is that they don't believe in disease. They believe it's all in your mind, so why should they stop meeting if it's all in your mind? The only problem with that is that there are a lot of people who think they're dead, you know? So there were marches and there were demonstrations. There were fiery preachers who denounced the church closings and the Spanish flu as Satan's ploy to ruin the church. Pushback came from all sides. And so the cities that bowed to that pressure to reopen first, it was San Francisco and then Denver, guess what? They were the ones who saw the second wave of death just sweep across their cities. And, and unusually, it was mainly among young adults, ages 20 to 40, who had no immunity from previous strains of influenza and were the least likely to follow the quarantine and mask guidelines. Does any of this sound familiar to you? During the Spanish flu pandemic, most churches responded creatively to the shutdown. They used the tools that were available to them. Some started publishing their sermons in the local newspapers. Others held outdoor distanced services. Others mailed weekly sermons and Bible readings and prayers to their church members. They just used the tools that they had. Some churches were actually turned into hospitals. And you know what? They got through it. They got through it. And they didn't think of themselves as being martyrs or that people were persecuting them. Here's how one pastor put it, the Reverend S.O. Cox, pastor of the, the Handley Memorial Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. This is what he wrote to his congregation in October of 1918. By the wise and necessary action of the City Commission and the Board of Health, on account of the scourge of disease now prevailing, all congregational activities are canceled. But while this providence is a severe one, affecting as it does all our plans and programs in this the most opportune season of the entire church year, may we not yet turn the season to best account by accepting it as an opportunity for the exercise of a fuller devotion to God and to the things of his kingdom. Necessarily, we shall be kept in our homes many hours that would otherwise be, sent, be spent in recreation and amusement. Perhaps the circumstance will serve to remind us that in these sacred home circles, there is to be found the very finest of fellowship and the sweetest and most wholesome of all influences. And certainly if we should improve these hours by prayer and meditation, the seeming curse of this scourge would not be unmixed with blessing. I think there's a lot of wisdom in his words. As anxious as I am to get the church back 
together indoors in the sanctuary, the ministry center. As anxious as I am to see children kind of, you know, filling up all our Sunday school classrooms and dropping their cookies all over the hallways, I have to ask myself this. What if the closing of in-person church services is actually God's gift to the church to protect his children from being infected? What if God is working through our local officials for our good, even in sometimes their bumbling and imperfect ways? What if God is working through them to actually protect his church? Now, I'm not discounting the incompetence and the confusion and the corruption that eventually creeps into anything that the government does. But what if God is actually preserving his people through the pandemic so that his church will be able to thrive on into the future? The pandemic is a scourge, but is there also blessing mixed in? I guess what concerns me is that there just seems like there's a lot of bloviating going on by church people across the country, and they are actually devaluing what persecution really is. We are cheapening the real experience of persecution that believers have gone through in the past, and in some way, we're dishonoring our brothers and sisters around the globe who are being persecuted right now in the way that Jesus describes. Too often today, I think when Christians feel persecuted, it's mainly because, quite frankly, they're acting like jerks. They're not acting like servants of Christ. Uh, Christians do get criticized or mocked, but not because they're acting in ways that reflect the grace and mercy and love of Jesus. They're mocked because they're doing something stupid. They're treating non-Christians with contempt or go about their faith with, I don't know, this aura of arrogance and superiority not with the servant heart of Jesus. Let me re recommend a book to you. It's by Eugene Cho. I heard him speak at a denominational uh, conference, our national conference this past year. The title of his book is great. It's called, Thou Shalt Not Be a Jerk. Thou Shalt Not Be a Jerk. And in it, he gives 10 commandments for how to engage with the culture around us during this turbulent time. It's a good book for a small group discussion this fall. Thou Shalt Not Be a Jerk. And I think that's great advice for us as Christians during this turbulent time. Because I don't know if you saw the news report this past week about a self-proclaimed archbishop of his own church down in Florida, the Genesis 2 church. His name was Mark Greenan. And he was recently arrested with his son because he's been touting this bottled product that was supposed to be a miracle mineral cure against the coronavirus. It was supposed to cure cancer and autism and like everything under the sun. Turns out it was mainly bleach mixed with water, and they were arrested because it allegedly killed seven people. But, when he, but before that, he was a loud voice claiming persecution by the government because of his faith in Jesus. The truth is that he's one of a long line of phony preachers and hucksters like Kenneth Copeland and others who promise people these superpowers against all the evils of the world. And then when they're opposed, they simply cry persecution. Now, you and I might be able to figure out pretty quickly that these are false teachers and charlatans. But let me tell you, the people on the outside of the church, the people outside the Christian community, they don't see any difference between what these phony preachers are doing and what real Christianity is all about. They don't, they don't see the difference. Those outside the church, they tend to lump all of these Christians into the same pot. And then that makes our job of witness a thousand times more difficult. And so when people are crying persecution now, nobody pays any attention to them. Sort of like the, bo the boy who cried wolf. And all they're doing is they bring ridicule and ill will down upon the whole of Christ's church 
because of their false teaching or their unethical behavior. And so it's no wonder that when people outside the church, they have no sympathy for the church when legitimate issues arise. They've already written us all off as wackos. And so our personal witness is extremely important right now. How we handle ourselves is so important because the world is watching. And if it's the Christians who are spreading conspiracy theories left and right, if it's the Christians who act in ways that put other people at risk, if it's the Christians who get all high and mighty and look down their noses at the world or treat other people with condescension, that's going to hurt our witness to the world that we're supposedly wanting to reach. The attitude that all Christians need to adopt during this year of struggle and stress, the attitude we all need are the Beatitudes. That's how we will effectively witness to the larger world through a faith that's steeped in humility, not hostility, where we mourn over our sins and trust in Christ's mercy, where we live in a way surrendered to the grace of Jesus, when we hunger and thirst for his righteousness, where we seek to be peacemakers, where we pursue purity of purpose. You see, Jesus knew his followers were going to face severe persecution, and we're going to look at some of that more next week. In the Beatitudes, he was writing out the prescription of how to deal with a hostile world, how to be a faithful witness in a hostile world. Later on, we'll see this played out in the New Testament many times when Christians were facing various levels of persecution. The instruction given by the apostles was to respond to persecution with a life of integrity. The Apostle Peter writes in his epistle, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's 1 Peter 2.12. Later on in chapter 3, he continues, he says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, it is better if it's God's will for suffer for doing good than for doing evil. 1 Peter 3.15 Right now I'd be willing to say that there is very little actual persecution going on against Christians here in the United States at least not according to Jesus' definition. Most of the conflict comes when Christians do a bad job with their witness, and then the blowback comes from outside the church. That's why I think this first challenge, the, challenge, the first challenge from this beatitude is for all of us to do a self-check, to really examine our behavior and see what it actually says about what we believe, to examine how we are interacting with those outside the faith. You see, this is not a new problem. The first century church, they faced real persecution, real state-sponsored persecution, first under the Roman Emperor Nero, and succeeding emperors picked up on the job. Christians absolutely slaughtered, Christians thrown to the dogs, torn apart, burned alive uh, in the Colosseum, Christians tortured. Did you know that all of the apostles, except for John, suffered a violent death due to persecution? If you've never done so, you should read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's a classic of church history. Chronicles in much too explicit detail the sufferings endured by Christians in the early centuries of the church. It is very hard to read, but sobering 
so that we understand why the early church father Tertullian famously said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It was his view that the intense persecution fueled the growth of the early church and is what caused it to spread so quickly. Maybe that's why the church in America is shrinking, because we're not really experiencing any persecution at all. Just a thought. Persecution is real around the globe. In 2017, uh, when a group of us traveled to Lebanon and Jordan at the height of the Syrian war refugee crisis, remember our church ended up doing a huge food distribution for the refugees in Aleppo, Syria, and we're continuing to partner in the region with Operation Mobilization. We did that through our Easter offering. I'll never forget one story told to us by a pastor in Amman, Jordan. He was born a Muslim and had converted to Christ as a young man, so we understood the dangers that Christian converts face in that region every single day. He told us of a young woman who had become a believer in Jesus, but her staunch fundamentalist Muslim family vehemently opposed it, opposed it and demanded that she renounce her faith in Christ. Because becoming a Christian in that community was a terrible stain on their family honor. She refused, she maintained her faith in Christ. And so one day her three brothers, they grabbed her and two of them held her on, down on the street and the third one drove over her with a truck and killed her. And nothing happened to the brothers. That was an acceptable action in that society to preserve their family honor. And that is not an unusual story in many parts of the world. That's real persecution. According to the Pew Research Center, 74% of the world's population live in a country where social hostilities involving religion are very high. 64% live where government restrictions on religion are very high. Maybe that helps to explain why Christianity is growing worldwide, but not in the US and Western Europe. So when someone says they're being persecuted because they're asked to wear a face mask in a store, I mean, really? That's persecution? Do you see how that attitude diminishes and dishonors our Christian brothers and sisters who are really paying a real price for following Jesus? I mean, friends, we, in America, we can be so petty, so fragile, so entitled, so quick to whine at the least inconvenience. This is what makes this last beatitude completely different from the others. The first seven describe the life that God calls us to pursue. But this last one is different because it describes the outcome of such a life. The outcome of following Jesus. This is the challenge Jesus lays before all his followers. If you truly follow me in my way, you can expect that you will, at some point, be persecuted by the world. But along with that, you will also have great reward. And that's for next week. Let's pray together. Lord, I do pray right now for the many Christian brothers and sisters all around the world who are facing severe and intense and even deadly persecution. Those who have to meet in secret, those who cannot let it be known that they're followers of Jesus in a public way. Lord, we have so little understanding of what true persecution really looks like. Help us to bear up under the stresses that we're feeling, certainly, Lord, and for the inconveniences and the hardships that are coming, Lord. But help us to remember what true persecution has been in the church over the centuries. As many Christians have given up their lives, literally, because of their faith in you. And Lord, help us to be those who would pursue a faithful and effective witness to our culture, 
Not that we don't act, we, we don't act like jerks, Lord, but we find ways to connect in ways that will deliver grace and mercy and a good witness for the gospel. We ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.